Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I was in college, there was a song, a worship song that we sang. And every time we sang it, it moved me to tears. And it, it went like this. It's written by Marty Nystrom. Some of you might know Hosanna Integrity, and some have no idea what I'm talking about, but it says this. Shepherd of my soul, I give you full control. Wherever you may lead, I will follow. I've made the choice to listen for your voice. Wherever you may lead, I will go. You know, there was something about the idea of relinquishing control of my life to the good shepherd that was both sobering and comforting. And that's not so uncommon of an idea, this concept of a shepherd. Tim Keller, he notes that despite the many funerals that he has presided over, whenever he offers to the family, what would you like for me to preach on? And he gives some possibilities. Actually, some of the most comforting, glorious passages of scripture, Romans chapter eight, 1 Corinthians 15, which is so apropos when it comes to funerals because it's about the resurrection of the dead. Revelation 21, the end of time where Christ reigns. But you know, without a doubt, I think you could guess. They'll say, no, no, not one of those. I want, what passage would you imagine? Anyone want to venture a guess? Psalm 23. Psalm 23. You know, Christian, non-Christian alike, they all know Psalm 23. They all want it read at their funeral because there is something about the Lord being our good shepherd that is so endearing, so touching, so comforting, especially when you're going through times of trial, suffering, and yes, even death. In our passage today in as we continue in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And so what I'd like to do is to look at what Jesus means by this through three verbs. First, Jesus fulfills in verses one through three. Second, Jesus calls or the good shepherd calls in verses four through six. And then lastly, the good shepherd sacrifices in verses seven through 11. First, the good shepherd fulfills in verses one through three. Again, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, 
That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own name, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. To really understand and grasp what Jesus is talking about here, we have to have a little bit of a background on shepherding and sheep. Because pretty much most of us in this room have never experienced sheep. And perhaps you've pet a sheep before. You have seen it at least on TV or maybe in Instagram reels or on Facebook. I have actually on Facebook. And I've actually pet a sheep once. And that's not enough background to understand this passage. In the ancient Near East, the way that they would pen sheep would be they would be in what was called a sheepfold. And what a sheepfold was, was a structure with rough-hewn rocks. Uh, they would be placed so high that no thief could climb over, nor wolf or mountain lion could leap over the wall. Frankly, they weren't always perfect because sometimes it did happen. But generally, that was the idea. So it was a four-walled structure without a ceiling. And part of that is so that the sheep aren't you know, suffocated in this small space. And so it was an open sky. And on one side of the wall was an entryway. Sometimes shepherds would install a do door to it, and sometimes not. And so the idea was that you protected the sheep, and the sheep were able to go in and out of this sheepfold very easily. Jesus uses this metaphor regarding this sheep thieves, shepherd, and the sheepfold to describe actually what was happening already. And so all of our Bibles, we have chapters and verses, but if you didn't have chapter 9 in verse and chapter 10 in chapter and verse, you would just see it as one story. And so if you can recall back in chapter 9, what happened was this blind man was healed. And as he's healed, the big question was, was this man sinful and therefore he was blind at birth. Or his parents, were they sinners? Did they do something wrong? Almost with this Buddhistic karma idea of saying, because the parents sinned, therefore the son is facing the consequences of that sin. So that's the big question. And the Pharisees, who are investigating what exactly happened, because suddenly this man who was blind can see. And so they bring him in. And he testifies, well, first they bring in the parents. The parents are saying, they don't want to get in trouble. So they say, why don't you ask him? He's of age. And so they bring him in for questioning. And they are skeptical, even though right in front of them, this blind man could see. And so here's what they say in verse 34, because the blind man says, I've been born blind, but now I see. Can't you see? It's so obvious. And this man who healed me, he's got to be somebody more than just simply a teacher. And the Pharisees, upset by what this man is saying in verse 34, says, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. You could see what they believe. The Pharisees believe that because externally there was a problem physically with him, it was due to a spiritual problem. And that's essentially when Jesus talks about the thieves and the wolves is thief-wolf thinking. The thinking of that which is external is a, is a picture of what's going on spiritually. 
And so their faith and their teaching of faith was always rooted on that. You acted and therefore you looked the part. You fulfilled the law, you, you obeyed, and that showed that you were, whether they were sincere or not, that was true worship. Jesus is saying, no, that's teaching of a wolf, of a thief. He knows that, Jesus knows obviously that, and if you read the Gospels, so often the Pharisees were teaching that external obedience is what God cared about, not the heart. And by that, they placed such burdens on so many people. You know, I appreciate what Angie shared about Gospel Well, not just Gospel Well, but her journey. Because like her, I had the same journey. When we first started the church, and, and I shared this in membership class in our first five years, but way before that, when I first became a Christian, there were many identities that I had. My identity, once we started the church, was I'm a church planter and pastor. I was also a husband, a father. And those three identities were at the core of who I was. The problem with that is that those will always falter and fail you. That when I placed my hope and worth and significance in being a pastor, if someone came into conflict with me, I saw it as a possibly a, a sense of um, disrespect. And I became very easily irritated, angered, with this sense of I need to uphold a certain level of external holiness. See, I would have never called myself a Pharisee, but that's exactly what it was like. But it wasn't just being a pastor, it was also being a husband. If my wife brought to me an area of question or concern or correction, suddenly defensiveness comes. Suddenly I need to prove that I'm the leader. I'm the husband. You need to submit to me. And I wouldn't say that, but I felt it. And it would lead to conflict because my identity was in me being a husband, a father. You better listen to me because I'm your father. <laughs> How easy we can jump towards that. The problem is that not that inherently there is something wrong with saying, well, there's a place for submission. There's a place for listening. There's a place for, but when you place your hope, your ultimate identity in those things, it fails you every time. The problem ultimately was that I didn't have the identity of being a son of God, even though I was, that my first core identity is I'm a child of God. And that needed to be at the top, not at the bottom. For the Pharisees, that's the problem that they had, and that's what they taught. You need to tithe. You need to hold, uphold the Sabbath. You must not heal on the Sabbath, definitely not. Everything was about what is external, and as long as you did the external, you were all right. And Jesus was not about the external. He believed that obedience would flow, but it would always flow from a sincere heart, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, as the psalmist says, as David says, you will not despise it. And so the Pharisees are constantly preaching and teaching this works-based righteousness. And here's the thing, sheep follow that very readily all the time. Why? Sheep are easy targets. Sheep are defenseless. You know, they don't have sharp teeth. 
uh, they don't, they can't really do much. They're not fast. They're defenseless. They're also very dumb. They're really stubborn, very stubborn. When a shepherd leads sheep into a pasture, he literally has to go out there first and make sure there are no poisonous plants because sheep will eat everything and anything, even to their death. And that's what they do. In July 2005, 1,500 sheep jumped off a cliff. And here's how it happened. These shepherds were caring for these sheep, and suddenly one sheep went too far over the edge and fell off. And so as it fell, all the other sheep started watching the first sheep disappear and thought, I'm going to follow him. <laughs> and one by one, they started jumping off the cliff, and the shepherds were doing everything they could to stop them. Uh, uh, Sheepdogs were coming, Australian sheepdogs, they were coming around. They couldn't stop the sheep because they were just following the other sheep. 1,500 died that way. You know, thieves know this. And so they teach almost truths. They teach truths that sound just about right, but tragically lead to the death of sheep. Sheep, not sheep, sheep. <laughs> you know, recently, Nigerian prosperity gospel pastor T.B. Joshua, he died. And uh, so many people gave him all their money. These are not people. He did not minister in Silicon Valley or Wall Street. He ministered in one of the most poor, the poorest places in all the world. And yet, from these poor widows who have nothing, they gave him everything. Why is that? Because he taught that if you love God and if you give him your money, which is to his ministry, then God will bless you. And in their mind, they had this idea of, well, I'm suffering so much, I have nothing. And so a lot of them watch really bad shows from America called, uh, on TBN, they have a satellite dish, one channel, TBN, Creflo Dollar, or things like that, and they watch that and they say, that must be true. Because look at all those Americans, they have so much. Can't blame them at all. I mean, really, we are all like them, sheep. And so they listened and they actually did what sounded close. Here's the type of thinking. It's, um, it's, it's this idea that if you do this, God will love you more. If you pray, God will love you more. That sounds right, doesn't it? I used to think that. If I read the Bible more, God will love me more. If I go to church, God will love me more. If I give up all my possessions to the poor, God will love me more. If I go on missions, God will love me more. If I become a pastor, God will love me more. If my children become a pastor. My son, God will love me more. But that's not good shepherd talk. That's wolf talk. God has already loved you most, not more, most. He's loved you to the most he possibly could. His love is infinite, and that love is shown at the cross. God cannot love you more than what he has already done for you if you are in him. Everything else that we do is never a desire to get God to love us more. It's always a response 
out of an affection for we, or what we already have in him. You don't need to do anything. Your children do not need to do anything to try to prove that they're your child. If that's the case, you're not so good of a parent. <laughs> you know, your child, your son, your daughter, they are yours because you are their father and mother. You gave birth or you adopted them. That's reality. There's a, there's a legality to that relationship, and it has nothing to do with what they do or don't do for you. And so that's what God is saying is that I've already given you my own son. I've purchased you through my son's blood. Therefore, even if you are in the midst of sin, you are more loved than you ever could imagine. Now, that is something that when I went through things like gospel well, sonship, it was probably one of the most uh, just mind-numbing, defying ideas. You're saying that while I'm sinning, God still loves me? That's not just something that we say, it's what God's word says. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the wolf, though, always says, no, you know what? You got to do something to really get God's love. You have to make sure that you're holy and then God loves you. Or you have to, the only way you can ever come to the Lord is you got to clean yourself up. If you've ever sinned terribly and I just you've, you had a really vicious argument with your husband or your wife or your child, do you ever feel as though you couldn't pray right after? You felt so guilty. Do you know that the Lord, he died for you knowing about what you said in that argument, how you treated your loved one? You can't clean yourself up. That's the reality. So, the wolf says, no, you don't come because you're not worthy. That's accuser language. An accuser is Satan himself. Devil literally means accuser, the word devil, diabolos. And so that's what Satan does. He says, you're not good enough. You're miserable. There's no way you are ready for the gospel. And this whole passage is all about the fact that no, Christ is the one who makes you ready for the gospel and has nothing to do with how bad you've sinned. Jesus tells us the difference between the good shepherd and thieves is that the shepherd enters, through, uh, enters the sheepfold by the door. The sheepfold are these people that Jesus is talking to, the Jews, who are waiting for a Messiah, a Savior. They want to be free free from their sin, free and experience, as Jesus says later, life abundantly. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who fulfills the promises of scripture. I'm coming through that door. Only the good shepherd, and by the way, the gatekeeper are the prophets. Basically, everyone who's saying the good shepherd is going to come. Get ready for the good shepherd. The good shepherd is going to be here soon. And the gatekeeper is doing that and only opens the door for the good shepherd to come in. And when John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's essentially announcing the arrival of the good shepherd. That's sort of Jesus's metaphor here that he's uh, depicting. And so my friends, when the darkness of legalism, all your own efforts, it makes you think, well, God is only happy with you when you do the work 
that leads to self-righteousness and boasting. It's all about me. And that destroys your soul and the church. It is the wolf's cry. And sadly, we sheep, we like following that voice. We do like saying, it is me. I did all the work. It's because I read the Bible this morning, good things are going to happen for me today. That's not only superstitious, it's wolf talk. When we think that, well, because I didn't spend time with the Lord today, and you get into a car accident, you say, oh, it's because I didn't spend time with the Lord today. God, I'm so sorry because I'm, I'm a miserable person, and I know that I don't really follow you. That's wolf talk. This concept that we're constantly pinning and tying the two together, the idea of God's love and pleasure of me and my works is going to drive my soul dry. This thinking has not only led sheep over the cliff, it has caused people to leave the church and say, that church stuff, forget it. It's, it's exhausting. And it is exhausting if that's what it is. And that's exactly what the thieves are like. That's why they love this language. Because they know if they can get this into the hearts of people, the sheep, the sheep will eventually say, this is too tiring, too exhausting. I'm out of here. And that Jesus, he's a liar. I think we understand. The good shepherd doesn't sneak in. He always comes in through the door. Second, the good shepherd calls, verses four through six. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, there's a difference between Western sheep herding and Eastern sheep herding. In Western sheep herding, they use dogs. So if you've ever seen a, sh a shepherd, like the Australian shepherd, a black and white dog, they're really cute. They, they're meant to run around in large spaces. And if you've ever had a chance, I've seen it on, online and on videos, and they, there could be 500 sheep. And it's pretty remarkable. Three or four shepherd dogs will run full sprint and be able to sort of gather up all the sheep. And even as one or two sort of fade away, they will herd that sheep and bring them all together and drive them forward. That's Western sheep herding. Eastern sheep herding, the, the type of sheep herding that's found here and that's spoken about in John 10 is distinctively different because here the, the shepherd lives with the sheep 24-7 pretty much. They live with them so much, they sleep with them, they spend a lot of time with them that they know them by name. They have a, literally a name for each one, and their voice is distinct, so that when the, sh the shepherd calls out, the sheep follow. Unlike Western sheep herding, where the shepherding is from behind driving the sheep, Eastern sheep herding is always in the front. The shepherd leads, and the sheep just follow. And when one sheep strays, or two, he will literally call them out, and they will come back into the fold. I mean, that's how remarkable it is. The point is that the sheep need to spend enough time with the shepherd to know the voice of the shepherd. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? 
Now, there are many counterfeit voices. And these voices all say, I will save you. I will make sure that you're special. Students, I want to say to you that one of the strongest voices, counterfeit voices that you will hear that call out salvation to you are your friends. More than social media, more than any type of entertainments, friends. And it doesn't matter what type of education you have, whether you're in public school, private school, homeschool. Friends matter so much in those teen years. And they have all these voices. They say things like, hang out with us, spend time with us. If you spend time with us and speak our language and do what we tell you to do, you will be loved, you'll be special, you'll be, care uh, you'll be cared for, you'll be significant. You know, gangs form this way. And what they do is they say, they take people who are ostracized from their families or maybe from their neighborhoods and communities, and they're all alone, and they say, come join us, do whatever we tell you to do, even the most horrific things, but as long as you do that, you'll be special. We will treat you as one of us. You'll be family. That's a very powerful voice. And that voice is a shepherding voice. The question is, is it a good shepherd? And I'm here to say it is not. TikTok has that voice. Instagram, social media, and all of these voices say, you need to change your body shape to be significant and beautiful and special. You need, to, you need to change the way your face looks. You need a few surgeries. Then you'll really fit in well. Then you're going to be so beautiful and so loved. You need to believe in and hold this type of political view. Get ready. The presidential election's coming next year. You need to vote for this president, and then you'll really be significant. You need to change your gender. If you do that, everything will be okay. You need to have love interests. If you're in high school and you're not dating, something is wrong with you. You need to get a boyfriend or girlfriend. Let's move that to college. If, you, if you're in college, you need to have a boyfriend and girlfriend. All in, when I was in college, I had five clo close friends. All of them started dating in college, except for me. And not only did I have self-pity, <laughs> Which I did. I thought, oh man, I'm so ugly. That's why, I know, that's why no one's dating me. But you know what? All five of them, none of them married the people they dated. And I was the first one to get married out of all of them. So do not fret so much. <laughs> you know, you spend so much time thinking, oh, I need a boyfriend or girlfriend. And then everything will be okay. You know, that's, that's a wolf voice. That's not the good shepherd speaking. This past week, we had a week of prayer and fasting. And what was really good for my soul was to be separated from my phone. Oh, it's right over there. I needed that. <laughs> I really needed to be separated from my phone, from the news, from sports, from social media, from whatever it is. Author Seth Trout urges us to consider this, the digital detox helps us repent of omnipresence, omnipresence of all things. It is a break from being tethered to your electrical umbilical cord and your dopamine pacifier. 
Anyone here have an electrical umbilical cord wrapped right on, right there, attached to you? We need to be broken of that tether. How are we going to find and know the voice of the Good Shepherd? You have to spend time with him. But part of it is that we have so many other voices saying, don't spend time with him. Spend time with me. The only way you're going to know is if you hear him. You know, the reason why we're pressing gospel well is not because I think it's just the best program there is regarding the gospel. It's honestly, it's, I'm selfish, actually. I really want to talk to all of you about Jesus at least once a week for the next 10 weeks. I really want to do that. And I don't get to do that too often because Sundays are hectic. And so I just want to see you regularly and say, hey, let's talk about the Lord. And let's talk about what it means to be significant in Christ alone. We need to hear the voice of Jesus through the lens of the gospel. And that's why I really want to ask you to consider taking this if you have not, even if you've done it before. Sometimes it's good just to say, let's spend time with the Lord together. You know, the good shepherd, he loves us. He wants to protect you. And he wants you to remember that as long as you forget his voice, you forget the gospel, you're going to veer off. You're going to go astray. But if you have him before you, you will know how to discern wolf talk, thief talk, and good shepherd talk. That's why in sermons, Bible studies, we need the fellowship of the gospel together. Lastly, the good shepherd sacrifices in verses 7 through 11. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is satanic language right there. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, in verse 7, it's really amazing because Jesus says, I am the door. When we think of the I am passages in the Gospel of John, that's probably one of the last things we think of. We think of, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But here, he gives another I am. I am the door. What does he mean by this? Old Testament scholar George Adam Smith, he tells of the time that he was traveling through Palestine, and there he met a shepherd. And the shepherd showed him an actual sheepfold at night. And so Smith asked the shepherd if the opening was how the sheep got in. And the shepherd answered this way, yes, and when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But Smith then says, and he notices, he says, but there's no door. And this is what the shepherd says in response. I am the door. When the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lay in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. It is the most striking image to know that what stands between sheep and wolves is the door. And that door is a person, and his name is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. In order for the wolves to get through, they have to go through him. We see this so clearly in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep.
You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life. On the night of Jesus' crucifixion, he had the power to wield angels, legions of angels to come and rescue him. You know, it's said that only one angel is needed to destroy the whole Roman Empire. If you read the, uh, the book of Daniel, you'll see this to be true. At Jesus' disposal with just one word, legions of angels were ready to destroy everyone who was against him. So let us not think Pontius Pilate put Christ on the cross or the Pharisees or Judas. It is simply God's will. Jesus laid down his life willingly for his sheep. He stood between us and sin and Satan. And I know there's a lot, there's tons to say about this, and, but I, I really appreciate R.C. Sproul when he says this. The only reason Satan can do any evil at all is because of God's sovereign, permissible heart. Without God permitting Satan to act, there would be no activity at all that Satan could do. I know there's a ton of questions beyond that. You can ask me in sermon questions or ask, ask Joe in sermon questions in Fuji. But this is our God. He is a God who protects his people. Like a father protecting his child against a vicious wolf pack, our Savior was the door that would not let the wolves of Satan come in to get us. And never think that somehow they've gotten through and Jesus has lost. No, he has already given his life. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, Romans 8. And so we remember John 18, 9, where Jesus says, Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one, not a single one. But how does Jesus do this? The shepherd substitutes himself for the sheep. That's the means by which the shepherd would make sure wolves do not cross over and take the sheep. It's really startling language because we see here the good shepherd, but so much of the New Testament shifts over from shepherd to sheep, where Jesus is no longer the good shepherd, but he's the sheep himself, the sacrificial lamb. We see this in the beginning of the Gospel of John, where John the Baptist calls out to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul calls Jesus, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. In 1 Peter 1, 19, Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The only way the good shepherd would ultimately defeat all the thieves and all the wolves, sin, death, Satan, the world, he would have to lay down his life. He would have to be like the sheep that he was protecting. And this is exactly what he did at the cross. To destroy them, he would lay down his life. Why? Because as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he loved you and gave himself for you. We must never think that God does not love us. Go back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me, by the way. You know, he, we don't want to lie down. We want to run away from Jesus. And we want to go to places where we think they're green pastures, but they're actually miserable. It leads us to death. So he brings us back and says, I'm going to give you life abundantly, as we see in verse 10, right? I'm going to make sure that you're going to have the utmost joy eternally but I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. I know you don't want to. You think it's over there, but it's here. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's a restorer. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I know some of you are facing this today, physical death, maybe emotional, relational death, you're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Why are we not trusting him? How can we say, I I will not follow you? His promise is that no matter where you go, he'll be there with you. He's already laid down his life for you. How can we say to him that God is not faithful? You're not good. No, that doesn't make sense. May you trust him today. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today is the day. He will not let you down. And if you have placed your hope in him, then you have to go back again and again to the fact, the reality that he's laid down his life for you. And that is your power. That is your significance. That is who you are. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray together. Lord, as we take this communion for those who have declared that to follow Jesus, your voice, that we are sheep, and we acknowledge our stubbornness, the fact that we are self-centered, self-righteous, boastful, proud, it keeps us from experiencing your grace and following you. But today we say, oh Lord, that where else can we go? As Peter says, you have the words of life. Where else can we go? And I pray that as we take of this bread and wine, that we would do so with so much thanksgiving in our hearts. Believing that even if we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now, we hear that promise, you are with us. And this bread and wine is a reminder of that reality. You are with us. You will never let us go. You are the good shepherd of of our lives. And we love following you. So give us faith, O Lord. Help us to see that we don't want to go any other path but towards you. We want to hear your voice. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We just praise you for the cross. In Jesus' name we pray.